I'm really excited to be able to have this stage this morning <coughs> and share with you. And um, I'm really excited because I asked Pastor Corey to leave this big old pile of rocks up here this morning. So I'm also sharing the stage with this pile of rocks. And um, I'm, I have high heels on this morning, if you can't tell. And they're quite a tall heel. So my real hope is that I don't wipe out in front of you on this stage because I am... Um, I have a history of that. So um, when I was in high school, my friends uh, and I were um, pretty mischievous. It was before I knew Jesus. Um, and we were kind of hellraisers. And so um, we were at a friend's house and we're spending the night. And the plan was to sneak out as soon as uh, my friend Ashley's parents went to bed. And so her parents went to bed, and we called the guys. They were these senior guys from school, and we were just freshmen. And so we called them and said, you can come by and pick us up now. So sure enough, um, we snuck out the door, and we had made it out. And we were walking to, we were actually running to the car. Um, and <laughs> lo and behold, as we were running, I did this epic face-forward plant into the ground. Um, which would have been fine because I really did just like stand up, brush myself off, and keep running to the car. And I endured a little bit of laughter and criticism from my friends, which was fine. Except the next morning, <laughs> we were at breakfast with my friend Ashley's parents, and we were feeling like real sly. Like we pulled it off, like, hey, hey, pat on the back, we did this, we're so cunning. Um, and Ashley's dad was passing us the cinnamon rolls, and he said, so, um, which one of you, uh, left the body print in the two inches or the two feet of snow outside the door last night. Um, and, uh, of course, that was me. So um, my friends from that point forward for the next two years called me Lurch. That was the nickname they gave me was Lurch, um, which apparently means, like, mm, I don't know, not steady. Um, so I'm hoping that if I wipe out on this stage this morning because I decided to wear high heels and have this massive pile of rocks here, that you will at least extend me a little bit more grace and not give me a terrible nickname that will last the next two years. Is this a safe place? Do we have that agreement this morning? Um, so about this pile of rocks, though, last week Pastor Corey preached a message from the book of Joshua. We're in the middle of a series on the book of Joshua about the people of Israel being led out of the wilderness across the Jordan River. It was an incredible message, and you should definitely go onto the website or to the app to have a listen to that. But here's the summary of what Pastor Corey said. Uh, God's people, the people of Israel, were delivered out of slavery in Egypt where they were being oppressed and abused and held captive by the leadership of Moza, Moses, and they were led to a place of safety in the wilderness. And the they were out of the grasp of the Egyptian people, which was incredible, delivered out of oppression. But the thing is, is that God had promised to lead them to a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And although Moses got them into that safe place, he was never able to lead them out of the wilderness into that promised land. Enter Joshua in the book of Joshua. This is where we've been resting this sermon series on the character and leadership of Joshua. So the book of Joshua begins, and it begins immediately with Moses' death. Like, it doesn't even skip a beat. Moses dies. There's no mourning. There's no grief. There's no celebration of Moses' life. Moses dies. Baton passed to Joshua. Boom. He inherits the full leadership mantle of the people of Israel. 
And what's crazy about it is that almost immediately after, even without even going on, there's not even a few paragraphs about it. It's just like sentence after sentence, boom, boom, boom. God says, now go. Go inherit the promised land that I promised you. Be strong and courageous. Now is the time. So what Pastor Corey preached on last weekend was the first step in that journey. So the beginning of Joshua begins with this go. Go now into the promise. And then the second step is God says, okay, let's do this trust exercise. Joshua, lead the people of Israel across the Jordan River. It's the first step in your journey. The people of Israel were going to need to cross that in order to keep moving into the promised land. It was the very first hurdle that they would face corporately as a people, and it's one that they had been afraid of for a very long time. Because you see, the Jordan River was at high tide, and Pastor Corey talked about this last week, that scripture records it as waters rushing and overflowing onto the banks So it's the kind of water that would carry people away, that would swallow them up whole. But God said to Joshua, go, cross that river. And he gave him instructions exactly how he wanted him to do it. And the instructions kind of involved like this precarious nature of you will go, like the leaders go, and they're going to stop right in the middle of the water. So it was really this incredible thing. You should definitely listen to Pastor Corey's message, like I said before, to get a fuller picture of this, but this is my Cliff Notes version. Um, The people of Israel passed safely. It's estimated that one million or more people were um, in the camp of Israel at the time, and not one of them perished. Every single one of them passed safely to dry land. God literally parted the river waters so that they would see dry land and be able to take the first step towards their promised land. And so the people get across. And the very first thing that Joshua did as a leader of the people who've taken this monumental step of trust and courage is to say, okay, now let's gather. Let's pause for just a second and let's gather. And he gathered all 12 tribes of Israel and he said, I want one representative to come forward from every tribe and to bring a great rock. And together we're going to build an altar to remember the faithfulness of our God, of how he parted the Jordan River so that we would walk through and come to dry land. So this is what we have this symbolism for. These, these rocks up on the stage are symbolic of the altar that the people of Israel built as a covenant between them and their children, as a covenant between them and God. Remember what God did for us. Let's remember his faithfulness. So here's what I believe. I believe that the instructions of Joshua to the people of Israel anchored their faith. This remember moment anchored their faith, and it gave the people of Israel the courage to march into a future filled with promise. And here's the flip side of that. That hasn't stopped being true ever since the life and leadership of Joshua. It's still true for all of us that are here this morning. It is so important that we stop and remember. 
So I asked Pastor Corey to leave this, um, this pile of rocks up here on the altar this morning because um, I'm literally going to take a seat right here. And I want to linger in this moment, this idea of remember a little bit longer. So many of you here um, know my family. You know my husband, Javier, and I, and you know that um, we have three beautiful children that grace this church all the time with their big old curls and happy smiles, Lucy, Zoe, and Gabriel. And some of you know that we also have another child who's in heaven. Her name is Lily. Um, Lily died six years ago tomorrow. So um, I think I posted about this a little bit ago on social media, um, and I know I shared it with Pastor Corey and Cameron and shared it with my open house as well. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, we asked a bunch of people to partner with us in prayer as we um, hit Lily's sixth birthday. She was born on March 19th and died on April 8th. Um, so there's 20 days in between that. And even though it's been six years, this 20-day cycle is pretty tender for us every single year. Because here's the thing. Um, I don't know if in my entire lifetime I'll ever get used to the fact that she's not with us. I never stop imagining what she would look like at this new age. Like, so I never stop imagining what she would look like right now at six years old, what kind of innovation and curiosity and ways that her personality would be blooming. I never stop imagining how it would look for her to be running around the circle that my kids run around in our house every night around six o'clock, how she would fit into their personalities, whether she would be more like her older sister, Lucy, who's calm and patient and sweet and kind and such a good teacher, or if she'd be more like her younger sister, Zoe, who is wild and brave and bold and so mischievous, much like her mama. Um, and how much she would love mothering their baby brother, Gabriel. I never stopped thinking about what it would be like to have her with us. But she isn't. And so this 20-day cycle every year is so very tender. But here's the thing. It's not tender in a sorrow-filled way. It's tender because I remember. I remember how as I went into my C-section, prepared for one of the greatest days of my life, long before the doctors ever knew that anything was going to go wrong, the anesthesiologist sat with me, and to calm my nerves, he began to read to me from his devotional that day, and he paused at a specific point, and I remember him saying to me, Katie, your daughter is going to be a shooting star. That's what Jesus desires for all of us. She'll be a shooting star. And I remember how months and years later those words have come to me that Jesus gave me those words to hang on to as an anchor. I remember how immediately after she was born with multiple unexpected, undetected birth defects and was rushed away into immediate neurosurgery and later taken to a different hospital to be hospitalized. And I was still in the middle of my surgery and just being entered into the recovery room. And they told me that I would have to be there for another three days because of the delicacy of my surgery. I remember praying with desperation, God, let me get to my baby. I don't want to be here. 
And I remember how just 12, late, 12 hours later when the nurses discharged me, they told me that I had the fastest recovery they've ever seen from a C-section. I remember how our friends and family, both in the country of Honduras and over 3,000 miles away here in the United States, gathered to pray for us and to meet our needs. I remember the 30-plus Honduran leaders and friends that gathered at our home for a full night vigil, praying and warring for the life of our daughter. I remember how my teeny tiny small church in the town of Bemis Point raised over $13,000 so that we could afford to keep our daughter in the best private hospital in the country of Honduras. I remember how my mom's neighbor, this sweet woman named Molly, relentlessly called every single air ambulance company in the United States until she finally found one called Angel Medcare that said, we will find a way to transport your daughter. To see, the girl that answered the phone that, name, that day, her name was Jessica, and she was a young woman, and she made it her job. She made Lily's case her own to make sure that she could find somewhere, somehow, in my mom's insurance policy, an insurance policy I didn't even carry, to find a loophole for air ambulance transport. I remember how she didn't go home and she didn't sleep for 36 hours until finally Blue Cross Blue Shield through some crazy loophole that only Jesus could arrange said that they would cover the tab for a $500,000 air ambulance to come pick our daughter up at the hospital and bring her to Texas Children's. And I remember how that same caseworker, Jessica Merwin from Angel Medcare, made sure that as soon as we arrived at Texas Children's Hospital that our bill would begin to get picked up by an insurance provider. I remember how when Lily's team of specialists at Texas Children's, after completing all of the diagnoses and examinations that they need to, sat me down at a table and I was alone. And I remember when they communicated to me that she would not live that all of the vital parts of her brain were dead and that she would leave us soon. I remember <laughs> that it felt like my chest paralyzed, like I couldn't even actually breathe. I couldn't take a breath. It was like everything in me just slowed and my chest was so tight. And I remember how my breath, my prayer became, Jesus, if you would just let me breathe, if you would just give me breath, then somehow I will survive this moment. And I remember how three days later, when Lily passed away in my arms, <laughs> as we disconnected her from life support, I remember the three hours that my husband and I held her and sang hymns over her and sang hill song and sang songs of worship and praise and joy, and I remember the peace that pervaded that moment, a peace that is unfathomable, that doesn't make sense, that is actually quite insane, and I remember the freedom in my chest and the way that I could breathe deep. I remember that he sustained me and he gave me breath to survive the moment that I believed I would never survive, because you see, that was the worst moment of my life thus far, and it may be the worst moment I ever experienced, but I remember that Jesus gave me breath, and he sustained me because I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was with me. God with us. 
I am with you. This is the promise that God gave to Joshua in Joshua 1, chapter 1, verse 5. God with us is what God said. When he gifted to the world a beautiful baby boy named Jesus, he said, you will name him. He will be called Emmanuel, God with you. And when it was time for Jesus to depart his followers, the promise he gave them is, I will give you my Holy Spirit. And to the end of the ages, I will be with you. That's the promise that we rest on. For the followers of the God of all creation, the only thing that matters is that God is with us. Because those words change absolutely everything. That's why the gospel in Jesus Christ changes absolutely everything. Because as we march towards futures filled with promise, whether they're filled with sorrow or with angst or with a lot, a lot of hope and expectancy, God is with us with us, and that changes absolutely everything. We've got futures to fight for. So step into the narrative of Joshua with me again for just a second. Moses dies. Joshua becomes leader. God says, Joshua, now is the time to lead your people into the promise. And there's kind of, this is the way that I view the book of Joshua, there's kind of three different steps to it. So God says, go, Joshua, bring the people now is the time after these 40 years of being in this safe place in the wilderness. It's time to get out of the safe place and start moving into, into the promise. And so he says, step one, let's do a trust exercise. I want you to lead the people of Israel, around over a million people, across the Jordan River at high tide. Step two, when Joshua got across the river, instead of moving straight into the promise, instead of going straight into battle, what did Joshua do? He paused. And he built this altar of 12 stones with the people of Israel as a way to build a collective memory, a collective altar of God's faithfulness, of what God has done for him and the people of Israel and what God will do again. So he builds this altar. And you know what's interesting about that? So I said there's kind of three steps, right? First step, Josh or Jordan River. Second step, this altar. Third step is going to be battles. And we're going to hear a lot more about that from Pastors Corey and Pastor Cameron in, in the weeks um, to come. But what's interesting, I think, about all of this is that Moses was a really incredible leader. I mean, he delivered the people of Israel out of oppression and slavery, and it took a whole lot of bravery and courage. So he has this incredible typology of a fantastic leader in the Bible. And I don't want to take that credit away from, here to, from him today, but here's the difference between Moses and Joshua. Moses was well into his adult years when God called him to be the deliverer of the people of Egypt. And Moses experienced a lot of suffering and heartache in his life before he received that call. And so Moses kind of has this insecurity and this deep-rooted doubt that he brings into his call. In fact, he's recorded throughout the books of um, the book of Exodus many different times saying things like, but God, I can't. I can't speak. They won't. And he has kind of this historic struggle with the people of Israel while they're in the wilderness. And here's the thing. 
Moses was able to bring the people out of Egypt, out of slavery and oppression, but he was never able to lead them into the promised land. But here's what he did do. He raised a Joshua. Scholars believe that Joshua would have been just a young boy, around eight years old, at the time that Israel was delivered from Egypt and first crossed the Red Sea. So Joshua wouldn't have had much memory of oppression or suffering. His memories instead would have been formed by a narrative of God's faithfulness. Because Joshua's earliest memories would have been the crossing of the Red Sea when God miraculously brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. And as they crossed the Red Sea, as soon as the last one of them crossed to dry land, he would have remembered seeing the chariots and horsemen of the Egyptians swallowed up into the water. He would have remembered how when his family was hungry and thirsty, God provided manna for his family to eat. You see, he would have gathered around these campfires all the time and heard stories and narratives of God's faithfulness, and that drastically shaped his life and his leadership. God's ex Joshua's experience of God was rooted in his experience of faithfulness. He believed that the Israelites could take the land and that they were up to the task. And he was up to the task as a leader himself because he remembered how God had moved on his people's behalf before, and he believed, won't God do that again? This is a critical, critical thing. And if you write down anything this morning, this is what I'm going to encourage you to write down. We have to look back if we're going to face the future with courage. Let me say that again. We have to have the ability to look backward and identify God's faithfulness if we are going to look forward towards the future and have new vision and new goals and arm ourselves with courage in our leadership. Anchoring ourselves in God's faithfulness is how we arm ourselves with courage. Does anyone in the room hear what I'm saying this morning? You see, Joshua could see far because he had the ability to see back. Because he remembered. Joshua leads the people of Israel in an exercise of remembrance. That's what this altar of stones is symbolic of. An exercise of remembrance. By crossing the Jordan, by building this altar, he filled his people with courage to lean into the promise to take back the land that God had given them. So that's what the first four chapters of the book of Joshua are about. That's the stage that the first four chapters set up for us. And then this happens. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Joshua 5, I believe Joshua 5 is a critical transition point in the book of Joshua. Joshua 5, verses 13 through 15. I think that's going to be brought up on the screen as well. All right, so Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, it's this really critical transition point. It's right before the very first battle is about to happen that's recorded in the book of, um, in the book of Joshua, the first city of Jericho. So go ahead and open those Bibles to Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. This is what it says. 
When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Jesus went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I um, have a fun little prop with me today. I'm really hoping that in the weeks to come, Pastor Corey's and Cameron will appreciate this and maybe make some use of it. Um, but I guess that's an argument for another day. <laughs> um, so I have this prop. Um, it's this beautiful pink superhero cape. Um, y'all know I'm a fan of female superheroes. I mean, I've made you watch Wonder Woman before from this stage. So, yeah, I'm all about women, about females warring for good in the world. And here's the thing, if there's anything that I've learned in my 14 years of ministry and not-for-profit governance, (laughs) is that I want to see a lot of change in the world and that it's worth warring for. But if I can be frank, (laughs) I've also learned that there's not a dang thing I can do on my own. In fact, anything I do on my own ends up to be a hot mess. I have a lot of tools in my toolbox, um, but they're not enough. Without Jesus, all those tools are meaningless. Every time that I try to do things independent of Jesus, it's always a fail. Here at Conduit, we have a really big vision, and we've been sharing it with you the last couple of months. We desire to see every man, woman, and child in our homes, in our churches, and in our cities redeemed and made whole by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've got some really tangible things that we're working to accomplish before 2025. You can go ahead and bring up on the screen some of those things. I just want to run through them real quick with you. We want to raise and equip 320 new leaders. We want to plant two additional churches. We want to reduce the geographical span of food deserts in Chautauqua County by 25%. We want to accomplish a 0% unemployment rate in the Conduit Ministries family. We want to develop no less than two substantial cultural and spiritual bridges that connect the Hispanic community to the wider community. We want to develop a marriage mentoring ministry that inspires and 100% of conduit families here. We want to lower the per capita rate of addiction and mental illness in Chautauqua by developing critical awareness and an empathetic Jesus-centered response. And we want to develop a Christ-centered post-release program geared toward no less than 100 previously incarcerated persons. We got some goals. We got some plans. We got some vision here at Conduit Ministries. Do you have some goals, some plans, and some vision that you're working toward in your own life? Do you have some promises that you're laying stake to? Do you have some prayers that you're circling? Do you have some promises that you're ready? move in on, that God is saying now is the time for you to move in on those promises. Can I show you how to get ready for those superhero tasks? 
I need to do some um, arts and crafts to do that. So um, exhibit A, my pink superhero cape. Um, pink because Jesus loves me, and I'm an individual, and he knows I love pink. Um, and I've got this Sharpie marker. So arts and crafts time. Hold on one second. Stay with me. I'm really not good at crafts. I'm really not good at DIY anything. So this might be rough. I'm making Corey and Cameron nervous over there. <laughs> All right, can anyone read what this says? Yeah, it's a little hard to read. I'm really not good at this whole arts and crafts thing. Um, God. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Um, so now I'm all set. Because here's the thing that I've learned. My super strength is nothing without God. All that I am, all of my resilience, all of my grit, all of my hard-learned lessons and strength are absolutely nothing if they're not rooted in my own experience of God's faithfulness. i got to tell you, in this last season of my life, more than ever, God has been speaking to me that I am nothing, that my abilities are nothing, unless the flag that I'm willing to raise and the banner over me is his faithfulness. Oh. The mic is really important, but I like hand motions, so that flag and banner, yeah. Um, wow. God has been with me. He has sustained me. He has guided my feet and brought me to dry land. He has not allowed the waters to swallow me up. He has led me to lands filled with milk and honey, and he is not done with me yet. He is only just starting. And if you're here this morning and you don't have any goals or visions that you're striving for, in fact, just waking up and facing the next day with courage and breathing through it is the goal for tomorrow, I want to tell you that I see you this morning. Whether you have a chronic illness or you're battling through a loved one's chronic illness or addiction, or you have depression or mental illness, and every single day is a battle of grit and strength and resilience, and getting up tomorrow is going to require courage. Can I tell you that I see you this morning too? That I remember what it's like to sit in that boat, and that this message is just as much for you as it is for anybody else? God with you changes absolutely everything. Most of my mom skills have not come naturally to me. Um, like a lot of people told me that they would, that they were intuitive, and no. Um, they were hard-learned lessons. But um, one of the few skills that I feel like did come to me intuitively and was probably prompted by the Holy Spirit is that every time my babies are crying or are hurt or about to do something that they're afraid of and that is going to require courage, I find this voice inside myself and that I speak over them that never requires intentionality. I don't like have to stop and think about what I'm going to say. It doesn't require intentionality, but I find myself every single time saying, it's okay, baby. Mommy's right here. Mommy's right here. I'm right here with you. It's going to be all right. And every time I say that, the loudness of the moment, whatever it is that they're going through, the sound and the loudness of it breaks for just a second. 
And although the thing that they're going through might not be over yet, and their tears might not be over yet, they always pause, and they look at me with their big, beautiful brown eyes, and we lock eyes for a moment. And as we do, they know, and I know, it's going to be okay, because I'm right here. Let me speak to you this morning, friends. It's okay. God is right here. He is with you, and that changes everything. The commander of the Lord's army appeared to Joshua and said, I will fight this battle for you. I am here. Take off your sandals because the place that you are standing is holy. Tomorrow marks six years, like I shared before, from the day that my baby girl died. And although my heart aches to see her again, and it will every single day of my life until I get to heaven, I am not drowned by sorrow because I remember. I remember that I asked God, just give me breath. If you would just give me breath, then I will survive this moment. And I remember that he sustained me and that he gave me breath, and that he spoke these words deep down into my soul. In fact, so deep that only a few months after Lily's death, I had this tattoo done so that I would hear these words spoken over me every time that sorrow threatened to win the day. This is not the end. This is not how Lily's story ends. This is not how your story ends. This is not how my story ends. That was not how the people of Israel's story ended. There was promise and conquer ahead. No, the king and ki of kings and lord of lords, the creator of all of creation, the victor who triumphed at the cross, his presence, his Emmanuel, his God with you, gives us unreasonable hope everything can be resurrected, that he is out to breathe life all of our ashes and guide us into incredible hope, both in the afterlife and in the right now, here, now, this moment. Would you, rece <coughs> would you receive that this morning? Let me speak that over you. This is not the end. He is breathing life over your ashes. He has sustained you. He will do it again. This, this tender place, this tender season, it is holy ground. And I, can I tell you something about unreasonable hope and clinging to stories of God's faithfulness in our lives? It's contagious. For those of you with kids here this morning and with other people that you're influencing, if you want to influence them for courageous leadership, and oh my goodness, I want that more than anything for my three children, then raise them with narratives <coughs> of faithfulness all around them. Raise them with stories of how God has been good to you. Raise them with stories of, look, look back. Look now. Can you see further ahead because of what you see behind you? God is with us. 
He's right here. He's always been with us. He's never left our side, and he's going to do something incredible again. That's what I want for my kids, and I believe that's what a lot of you want for your children as well and for other people that you're influencing. I want my kids to lead, lead lives of courageous, charismatic leadership that is anchored in the character of God's faithfulness. I want them to be able to look back and remember just like Joshua did, so that they can look forward and say, won't he do it again? And use that as the anchor to guide them into lives of courageous leadership. So here's what I want to do. Um, in your aisles, in your pews, each one of you will see that you have some rocks. You have some rocks and you have some Sharpie markers in a pail. Um, so I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up on stage and we're going to do something. <laughs> we're going to do some arts and crafts as well. Um, I'm not going to ask you to put on this terrible pink superhero cape that I really like. Um, but I am going to ask you to participate in a symbolic act of celebrating God's faithfulness. As we build a collective altar right here on the stage just like the Israelites did after crossing the Jordan. So I can hear those stones being passed out. That's exactly what I want. If you haven't started that already, go ahead and pass those stones so that each person in your aisle has one. And you're going to have to share the Sharpie markers, so just pass it along as you finish with it. And this is what we're going to do. The worship team is going to lead us into two final songs this morning. Uh, um, I'm going to ask you, please don't rush out this morning. Uh, we have this culture here at Conduit where we leave. <laughs> like as soon as this last worship song comes on, we go and grab our kids. And I'm going to ask you, would you just linger here for a little bit longer this morning as the worship team plays these last two songs? Here's what I want you to do. The worship team, before I came up here, sang a song called King of My Heart. And it's about his song becoming our triumph and the fact that he will never let us go, being the words that are on our lips, that he is good all the time. And so as they replay that song right now, I want to ask you to use that Sharpie marker to write either a word or phrase on the, ro on the rock that you have of a way that God has sustained you, of a way that he has been kind to you and been faithful to you. And when you're done doing that, I want you to bring your rock up here to the front and place it on this altar of stones, a collective memory that we're building as the people of Conduit, that God has been with us. He's been with us individually, and he's been with us corporately as a people, and won't he do it again? We are leaning into a future that is going to require courageous leadership, not just from our leadership team, but from every one of you. If we're going to affect change and see wholeness and redemption in our homes, churches, and cities for every man, woman, and child, we need some courageous leaders. And I believe firmly that if we're going to look forward and we're going to lean into the future and inherit and lay stake to the claim, to the promises that God has given us, we're going to have to look back and we're going to have to remember this altar and his faithfulness among us. So as they play this song, would you write a word or a phrase on your stone? And as you feel led, would you come and drop it at this altar? And for those of you that are like, I don't even know what you're talking about because I haven't experienced God's faithfulness in my life yet. I would challenge you on that. 
But here's what I believe, that this altar is a place for encounter with Jesus Christ. So if you want to start today a narrative of finding the faithfulness of Jesus Christ in your life and allowing that to be contagious and ripple through you to everyone around you that you're influencing, then this is the altar, this is the place you need to be because Jesus Christ is here and he is good. And he will never, ever let you go. Go ahead and take it away, worship team.